if you're a Gladswood Hills member, we've kind of skipped over 1 and 2. Uh, so I'm going to read 1 and 2. And 3 to 8 very much flows on from 1 and 2 and unpacks uh, 1 and 2 uh, for us. So please join me. Uh, please keep your Bibles open. Chapter 12, I'm going to start reading uh, at verse 1 down to verse 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just if each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I'm going to pray again. Please join me. Loving Father and Almighty God, thank you for your word in all its truth. Lord, we pray and ask that we'll submit to your word wholeheartedly and willingly, and we ask by your Holy Spirit that you'll encourage us all to have hearts of service for our church, for all those in whose midst we find ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, please keep your Bibles open at Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 3 to 8, which is all about serving. Uh, as a keen tennis player... I was really pleased to be served up this ace of a passage uh, from God's Word. Uh, there's basically three types of serve that I want to talk to you about today from the passage. There's the flat serve, there's a kick serve, and there's kind of a slider uh, serve that I want to tell you about today. And I know Bertie, Jono and Dean Stanley at least are probably enjoying my dad jokes, probably at most enjoying my dad jokes, hopefully the other dads are uh, as well. I actually told the same dad joke at Gledswood Hills about three weeks ago because, you know, I didn't think they were going to hear it today as I was down to preach at Harrington Park in night church this week only. So don't blame me, brothers and sisters at Gledswood Hills, blame COVID. Uh, jokes aside, serving in church is the topic of the day. And uh, here's a few pictures of some other people serving, some blokes from a church serving on a building project. Uh, here's some people serving at a soup kitchen, which is probably a bit closer to what we had in mind than serving in tennis. Uh, friends, there are two types of pride at work here in the passage when Paul talks to the church about serving. Two types of pride potentially at work in us when we think about our place in church and our role in church. And I just want to explain the two types of pride because I, I think it'll be helpful as we unpack the passage. When he says, don't think of yourselves more highly than, than you ought, there's two types of pride that could potentially be at play. Uh, first is the arrogant pride that believes that we're better than others. Um, 
that believes that the church would be lost, would be, is blessed to have us and would be lost without us. Uh, this person doesn't think they, thinks they don't need other people. Uh, this is arrogant pride. I think more people in the southwest where we are actually wrestle with the second type of pride, and I think we wrestle this within our church, which is the pride of false humility. The pride of being in Christ, being given Christ's grace, his love, his Holy Spirit, and still feeling like you have nothing to give. You're still thinking of yourself more than you ought because you somehow think that the church is depending on your strength, your grace, that you need to pick up yourself by your bootstraps rather than depending on the grace of God. There's still a self-dependence even in false humility. There's still pride. The only difference is you think you have nothing to offer rather than your God's gift to your church. Now, I hope that makes sense. Arrogance and false humility, two different types of pride that we wrestle with and we'll see drawn out and dispatched with by Paul. We will learn that it's sinful to be a Christian and not commit to a church with a heart that is keen to serve. There could be a whole bunch of difficult circumstances surrounding your lack of desire to serve your church, but the command to serve here is clear, and the refusal is disobedience. So let's see what Paul has to say about serving. There are four clear and simple points, really, that Paul makes in this passage today that show us how to think so that we will be eager to serve in church, how to think about yourself so that you'll be eager to serve. The first point that Paul makes at the start of verse 3, is that his word comes from God. Paul is an apostle of God by God's grace. Therefore, he actually has authority to command us when he does here in Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 3 in your Bibles. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Paul is an apostle of Jesus by the will of God. That much is clear from Romans 1.1, 1 Corinthians 1.1, Ephesians 1.1, etc. It's by God's grace that Paul is an apostle. It's not that he's personally awesome or amazing or anything like that. He knows that. He makes that clear by saying, it's by God's grace I'm an apostle of God and I address you all in the church now. He's commanding us all who call ourselves followers of Jesus and his word comes from God, therefore it is binding upon us. The next six verses come with apostolic authority, therefore we must listen to them and we must obey, else we cannot call ourselves Christians. Secondly, uh, the second point that Paul makes is that we need to think clearly and rightly about ourselves. Look again at verse 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you should. It's a command to think rightly. And note, it isn't qualified by how you feel. Do not think of yourself too highly unless you're feeling really great this particular day, in which case, think highly of yourself. No, no. Or do not think of yourself too highly unless you're feeling rubbish. Then you ought to think that you are useless and don't have anything to offer. No, no. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, with clear thinking. Do you remember that Ben taught us not long ago that commands in the Bible almost always come with a call to discernment? 
There's the negative and then there's the positive command. Don't think of yourself too highly, rather think soberly. Sober means, sober does mean not drunk, but it also means clear-headed. It means to think correctly, rightly about something. Think of yourself clearly and rightly in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to everyone who calls himself a Christian. You cannot be arrogant as a Christian because your faith in Jesus is a gift from God. You're not especially faithful, you're not especially clever, and so you worked out you need to trust in Jesus. Your faith is a gift from God that was graced upon you and us all. So don't think too highly of yourself. But similarly, don't think you're worthless in the body of Christ. That is to think too much of yourself as well and to think too lowly about God, who is the one who gives us the gift of faith. Your faith is a gift from God through Christ. So be of good cheer and be of good heart and think rightly about who you are in Christ. Christians should not be down in the dumps and feel like they're worthless. They've been considered worthy. They've been given eternal life through faith in Jesus, a faith that comes from God by grace. So to think too highly or too lowly are both a form of pride. It's to think too much of yourself and too little of God and his grace to you. Think highly of him. So the first point is this command comes from the Apostle Paul who has the authority of God. The second point is we should not think wrongly about ourselves, but think rightly. We're saved by God, given faith in Jesus by him. Faith is a gift, so don't be arrogant. You're precious to God, so don't think too lowly about yourself and so diminish God's kindness to you. Thirdly, Paul teaches we must think rightly about ourselves so that we will act appropriately in the body of Christ, that is, in the church. Look at verse 4 and 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Here are two pictures of the human body. The one on the right I chose especially because it looks particularly freaky. And this just became a sermon that you'll never forget because of this freaky picture on the screen. Uh, the picture on the left has only the muscles labelled. Look at all those different muscles in your body. I found another one that's got like a hundred or so different veins and arteries labelled in your body. There's so many different parts to our bodies. Isn't God wonderful in the way he's made us? The point that Paul is trying to make is that you, the body, the church, have many, many different parts, but they all need one another. Just like your human body has many, many, many different parts that all work together and all need one another, so too the church has many, many different parts that are all different, but they're all working together to build up and encourage the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul fleshes this out. Fleshes this out. You get that? It's another dad joke. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, Paul fleshes this out. <coughs> I won't read it all, but he does say in verse 21, 1 Corinthians 12, 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Similarly, the flexor digitorum superficialis that was on the screen can't say to the superior mesenteric artery that I don't need you. I hope you're just a little bit impressed by that just then. 
there's no room for arrogance in the body of Christ. You all need one another. There's no place for false humility or sloth and laziness in the church, just like there isn't in the body. Your whole body is constantly working to build itself up, just as the church is working to build itself up. Every part of the church is working to build itself up. We all need you. So if you're not serving, you're disobeying God and you're failing the body that God has made you a part of. We all belong to one another. It says it right there in verse 5. We all belong to one another. We all need one another. If you're an artery, start transporting blood if you're not already. If you're a muscle, start flexing if you're not already. If you're a nerve, start communicating if you're not already. Fourth and final point that Paul makes, look at verse 6. We all have a God-ordained job to do in the church, in the body. So work out what that is and do it to the best of your ability. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's encouraging, give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, this list is not exhaustive of all the gifts we have to serve. Don't scan the list and think, oh, I can't do any of those things, so I'm off the hook. Having said that, if you can't do three or four or five of those things, either you've got false humility or you've got laziness. We can all serve. We can all encourage. We can all give. We can all show mercy. And I believe we can all teach. I was going to say hands up, but there's, not, there's only half a dozen people in the room. But have a think. Uh, who who's listening in today has never taught anyone anything? No one. We've all taught people something. We can all teach so God has given us all different gifts of service. The question is not, can you serve? Paul is clear, God has blessed you as his child with the ability to serve in multiple ways. So put the false humility away and work out how is it that you have been gifted? Because you have. The Bible makes that clear. The question is not, should you serve? Paul is clear. Every part of the body belongs to the other and is required to serve. So put the arrogance aside and get on with serving the others in your body. And Paul says serve wholeheartedly. Now I do want to take a few moments to unpack briefly the seven different ways in which we may be gifted to serve. But again, I want to emphasize that we should not get bogged down in wondering which it is that we have. In a sense, this list is not exhaustive. In another sense, many of these gifts are very generic and can cover over a multiple of differing gifts. So let me look at this list without getting too bogged down in it. All right. The first on the list is prophecy, something that was clearly popular in Paul's day and Paul thought very highly of it. Someone in the congregation would have a word from God and others would test and approve what it, that it was a word from God. Paul was a fan of prophecy. But he's clear in 1 Corinthians 14 that the purpose of prophecy was to edify and encourage the congregation. So it should be, should be intelligible and it should actually be a word from God, not just from that person. So the prophet was to ensure the prophecy was in accordance with the faith, as it says there in verse 6. That is, in accordance with the Christian teaching passed on by Paul in particular and God's word in general. Secondly, serving. If your gift is serving, then serve. 
Put another equally important way, if your gift is serving, then use that gift as you serve. In other words, serve wholeheartedly. The word for serve here is very similar to the word for waiting on tables. The servant actually lacks status and does not seek status. The servant gives selflessly without expectation of anything in return. I think this is something we're all capable of and we can come to church with an attitude of self-sacrificial service of others. What a blessing it would be if we all came to church every week with an attitude of self-sacrificial service. Are you techie like Mike Listel who's sitting in front of me up the back there and the rest of the tech team? Are you techie like the tech team? Well, serve like they are right now. I can see them, you can't. Are you musical or friendly or strong or like to cook, serving music or welcoming or set up or morning tea? Are there crumbs on the floor after church and you're able-bodied and there's a broom handy? Well, you now have the gift of serving by sweeping the floor, so sweep the floor and do it willingly and joyfully. For those who especially love to serve others, don't sit back. Don't get lost in the crowd of church. Find out how you can serve and serve wholeheartedly. I guarantee you, your minister would love to have that conversation with you about how you might serve. Thirdly, teaching. Now, interestingly, this is a tricky one for those who are actually teachers, I think, in the church. I have a huge heart for teachers. It is a very, very difficult job. And I know for a fact that these two weeks of school holidays will vanish in the blink of an eye for every teacher. They absolutely need the break, and for many it's hardly a break as they catch up uh, with marking and things like that. Now, I would love to, I genuinely would love to think and talk through this verse with all the teachers who are out there listening on the live stream, which is many. We have lots of teachers in our church, praise God. Paul says here, <clears throat> if you have the gift of teaching, then you ought to be teaching within the body of Christ. Exercising your God-given gifts for the building up of his church, I think that much is clear. For many, if not most teachers, I know for a fact that Saturday and Sunday feel desperately like a needed respite. And the last thing they want to do <laughs> is teach. At the same time, the Bible says, teachers, teach. Exercise your gift for the sake of the body. It seems to me it isn't optional. The question is then, how do we work out how to make it doable for you who are weary from teaching full-time? Something to not out, something to not out with your congregational pastor. Fourth, encourage. How wonderful is encouragement? I think we're all capable of it, but only a few people spring to mind as consistent encouragers for me. If it comes naturally to you to encourage others, then please encourage others often. Praise God for the encouragers in our church. It is so very, very important. For the rest of us who have to work at it, to be encouraging, let's work at it and be encouraging. Let's encourage one another as much as we can. We all have the gift of the opportunity to encourage one another when we meet and through the wonders of modern technology all the time. We're all capable of encouraging one another, so let's do so. Fifth, give and give generously. 
There are many, many ways in which we can give. We can give of our time. We can give of our talents. I want to focus, I suppose, on the giving of our treasure because that is the way in which we struggle the most. And that is a conversation we find hardest to have for some reason. It seems a bit taboo topic to talk about money. Everyone with an income can give. Everyone with an income has a God-given gift of giving to their church. So we all should be giving. And by generously, Paul means sincerely or even simply. Give simply. Give without too much thought, without ulterior motive involved. As a servant of Christ, given faith, given grace, give back. Give back. It's the logical thing to do. It's the obvious thing to do. It's the simple thing to do. As someone who's been given grace and given an income, give back to the work of God and give generously, almost unthinking, not unthinking, but simply. It's the obvious thing to do. Give of your money, but not only that, give of your time and give of your talents to the body as well. But I feel those are wrapped up in the other gifts mentioned. Six, to the leaders in our church, ministers certainly, growth group leaders, of course, parish council, kids' church, youth group, wardens, thrive, Lead these ministries with diligence, Paul says. Exercise your God-given role, your God-given gift, wholeheartedly. Prepare early and well when you know you're going to be leading something. Know your Bible so you can lead in truth. Turn up early to lead. Turn up well prepared to lead. If you're the assistant leader for the thing on the day, you're still a leader. Be prepared. Know the materials being taught that day. Turn up on time. Be diligent. Leaders in our church, be wholehearted and praise God for you leading our church. It's a blessing, it's a joy, it's a huge responsibility to lead God's church. Now, I think it's particularly in the passage here talking about leading in the gathering setting, Sunday church, youth group and the like. But I, I couldn't help but have a word to husbands. Surely this applies to us as well, as leaders. Lead your wives and your children diligently, in godliness. Think about your leadership, your God-given influence. Pray for yourself and pray for your family. Demonstrate godly kindness, compassion, love, patience. Lead diligently. Prepare yourself to lead your family on the way home in the car from work with prayer, with Christian podcasts, with Christian music. Prepare yourself to lead by dedicating yourself, men, to the study of God's word. Enjoy the respect that you will gain from your wife and your children when you are a man of God who is worthy of respect. Lastly, show mercy cheerfully. And I think this is with particular reference to caring for those in great need, the elderly, the poor, those with disabilities and the like. As people of God, we ought to love those in need, willingly, eagerly, cheerfully, not begrudgingly. Who are those in need in your church? And what would it mean to them if you approached them, got to know them and offered to care for them? As I said, not exhaustive, but in many ways overarching list that covers much of the God-given opportunities we have graced upon us to serve. Friends, we've been reborn <coughs> as people of God to serve. Your life is not your own. You belong to Jesus. So live wholeheartedly, cheerfully, willingly, diligently for him 
by living wholeheartedly for one another. Please turn back with me in your Bibles a few pages to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And while you do that, we're going to look at verse 19. While you're finding it, can I strongly urge you to read paper Bibles? I'm excited. I've just converted the young man that I'm mentoring from his phone back to a paper Bible. I hope you're watching. Hey, champ, I hope you've got your paper Bible open right now. Psychologically, anything can happen with our phone in our hand. It could be a phone call. It could be a text. It could be a messenger message or a Facebook notification, etc., etc., etc. It could be anything. But you say, I've got all that turned off every time I read my Bible, to which I say, no, you don't have it all turned off every time you grab your phone and read your Bible. And secondly, your brain doesn't really know that. We need to get back to paper Bibles, back to bringing paper Bibles to church. Pencils, highlighters, draw in them, fill them with notes. Fill them with corny Christian bookmarks with encouraging stuff written on them. Get to know and adore your Bible. And please, 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 Bible readers in church, when you're reading God's holy scriptures from here, the lectern, in the congregation, please use a paper Bible. Romans 6, verse 19. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, let us together give ourselves to righteousness, to holiness, to wholeheartedly serving our majestic, almighty, gracious Saviour, who has given us everything we need, and do this by serving one another lovingly, and wholeheartedly. Amen.